Man, we're so glad that you're tuning in. Wherever you're watching, whether it's here locally or from around the world, we're so glad you took time to join us here today. If you're ever in our area, please be our guest. Stop in. We'd love to meet you, send you home with some free gifts. And we just count it an honor that you have taken this time to watch this broadcast and to join us. We are in the uh, series we have called The Essentials of Christ. There's certain things the Bible says we must build in our life before we can move on to maturity. Too many people want to skip to maturity. Uh, it's my way, and I want it now. It's my money, and I want it way. My, my way now. I want it now. Give it to me. And we don't take time to lay a strong foundation. And then when the floods of life come, when the pressure hits us, we, we're not stable because we haven't built the most important thing. The Bible says is building these building blocks. And then we can move on to maturity. Let's jump right to our opening text Hebrews 6, 1 and 2, it's been our theme for this whole series. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let's now go on to maturity. Before we go on to maturity, we must lay these foundations. The foundation of repentance of dead works, faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, that's plural, and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. you got to have a full understanding of what these things mean to the believer. To have a foundation, you have an understanding what they mean to you, why they're important. The first week we talked about repentance from dead works and faith toward God. The second week we talked about the first baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Last week we talked about the laying on of hands and the baptism of water. Today we're going to hit these last two, the resurrection of dead and eternal life. So we're going to talk about the resurrection of dead. So all you walking dead people, you should be alive and awake today, ready to say what's going to happen. What, what, what happens when we die? What, what happens with our spirit? What happens with our body? Or what happens when will we be Jesus? Do we give an account for that? How do we face judgment? What are the judgments look like? And so you got to have these answers in your life because when you have a full understanding about the resurrection of Jesus, it makes you understand about the resurrection of your own life. And when you have an understanding about what eternal judgment means for every believer and every non-believer, then it changes how you live your life. So let's get an understanding what the Bible talks about in these areas. One thing we all must be sure of, 100% of us will face God one day. We have a 100% chance of facing God. We have a 100% chance of death. Death faces us all. And that's what the Bible says. There will be a generation that's caught up to meet him who does not die. But for everybody else, you will face death. And so that's the good news today. Aren't you glad you came to church, right? But we don't have to fear it. As a believer, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear judgment. But if you don't understand why, you'll live your life in fear. And the enemy will attack your mind and make you live in fear. So let's get right to these. Number one, we're going to talk about the resurrection of the dead. What does that mean? The resurrection of the dead. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so we realize this. You must believe that Jesus was raised from the dead as a part of our salvation. It's important. You must believe it. It's an important part of who we are and what God's done. The reason we must believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, it's an important part because the resurrection proves that God accepted the payment for our sins. 
the resurrection. When Jesus was resurrected, that means that the Bible says that Jesus was sent. He gave his life on the cross as a payment for our sin. Up until that time, we had to take lambs and we had to offer pure lambs before an offered as a blessed sacrifice. We had to give it to the high priest and only he was allowed and to the holies of holies. And this made atonement for our sins. But the Bible says the lamb of God, he who knew no sin, gave himself up on the cross that he carried the world's sin. So he gave himself up that you and I now can walk in forgiveness. We can walk in right standing with God, not because we're perfect, not because we live a great life, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. And without the resurrection, that would not be acceptable. If Jesus didn't resurrect, if he died and remained dead, then we're like, God didn't accept his gift. But the fact that God accepted his death and then breathed life and gave him conquering death, burial, and the resurrection, and he rose again on the third day, that means that God accepted his gift. And you and I can walk knowing that God has received the payment for my sins because of what Jesus did on the cross. That should get you really excited today because you know that the payment has been made, that justice was served, sin was dealt with. And all those who believe in Jesus, confess him with their mouth, believe that he was raised again of the power of the resurrection. Well, it also proves that he is the Messiah, that he didn't just lie about his resurrection, but he prophesied about his resurrection. Jesus prophesied that if you tear this temple down, you put me to death, God will build it back up. In three days, I'll be alive again. I'll raise again. It's something that happened. 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Look what it says now about this. But tell me this, since we preached that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For, there is, for if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching, it's useless. All of your faith, it's useless. And we apostles would also be lying about God. For we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised himself. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith, my faith, it's useless and you are still guilty of your sins. So the resurrection tells us that we're no longer guilty, that God accepted our payment and that God has power not only over his son, but he gave his son power over death, burial, and resurrection. And so if Jesus says, I'm going to raise you back up again to meet me, we can have confidence because he was the only one who was raised from the dead. So he has that power. He has has the power to raise his son from the dead. He has power to call us out of the grave as well. And so that's an important part of understanding who we are. Let let me be clear to you. What are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is this. Buddha is dead. There's been a lot of people come along and claim to be Jesus. They've claimed to be prophets. They've claimed to be God. And every one of those people had had people who followed them and and who were believing. They were so hungry for something. They they were lied to. They were manipulated. But those prophets, those people who called themselves prophets, they're all dead and they remain dead. There's only one person who ever said, I am God, I am life, I am the Son of God. He predicted his death. He was killed the way he said he would, and he resurrected the same way he said he would. So the fact that when he predicted his death and it happened, that means this. That means that everything he said 
in his past, everything he said about our future, it also can be true. We can be, have security of knowing that he said, if I go away, I will come back for you again. In my father's house are many mansions. I'm going there to prepare for you, and I'm going to come back. I'm going to take you to myself, and we're going to live together forever. All these things that Jesus predicted would happen when he was resurrected, it validated those claims and said, all right, he now has the power to back every promise he ever made. If he wasn't raised from the dead, then he said, it's all useless. If he didn't follow through with that, then it's all useless. But because of the fact that he was raised from the dead, that means he has power to fulfill every promise in his life, every promise he ever made us, he has the power to fulfill it and will fulfill it. And he also has the power to resurrect us as well. So it builds my faith. It builds your faith. So how about us? How about our resurrection? Look what 1 Thessalonians says about us when we die in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed. See, we've got to know this. It's important. Every believer should know this about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like everybody else does. Everybody else has no hope, he says, but we believe that Jesus died and he rose again. So we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, that's the generation who's still alive when Jesus comes back, will certainly not perceive those who have already fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive, our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will be with the Lord for how long? Forever. So we will be with the Lord how long? Forever. One more time. We will be with the Lord forever. That means if we're going to be with him for eternity, then that should change how we live our life today. It means that changes how my perspective. All my effort can't be just on building an earthly foundation. It's got to be on a foundation that's strong, that lasts for eternity. See, I've got to make sure. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. That means what? Let's be clear that Jesus said about our death that we stand before God one day. We will all stand before God one day. We will all give an account for our life one day. Nobody can avoid that. We will all have to stand before God. And so we have to give an account. Teenager, hear me today. Children, hear me today. You can't get in just because your mom and daddy were a Christian. You're going to have to give an account for yourself. Do you believe in Jesus? Have you surrendered your life? Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? We all will have to give an individual account for our life. Hebrews 9, 27, look what it says here. That for the Lord himself, look, just us as people are destined to die once, and after that, we will face judgment. We all face it. So Christ was a sacrifice once to take away the sins of many. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So we know today that God is wanting us to spend eternity with him. There will be a generation. There will be a generation who, who does not die. At the second coming of Christ, there will be a generation who does not die. But also, I want you to understand this, that to die here on earth means we take, our, as a Christian, it means we take our last breath here on earth and we take our next breath in the presence of God. 
There, there is no death. There's no, for the believer, there's no hanging out in between. We're not stuck. We're not stuck trying to get, we're not stuck in between. I know we're worried about, is there, there's a spirit here? I think they're visiting me. Are they stuck? Are they, listen, I'm telling you, as a believer, we're not stuck. The Bible's very clear and paints a good picture that says, we are immediately with Jesus in paradise. And it says that those who remain, that means what? My earthly body is here. My spirit is automatically in the presence of God. And when Jesus comes back for his church, it says that our bodies are going to be renewed. We're going to receive a new body. Come on, thank somebody that your body's not going to be affected by carbs forever. Come on now. We're, we're going to receive a new body, and then that body's going to be reconnected with our spirit, and we're going to be caught up with those who remain, and we're going to live with the Lord forever. And then we're going to have to face judgment. It's going to be there. But I don't die. So for the believer... We don't mourn. That's why he says we don't mourn with no hope. When someone dies and they're a believer, we, we, we mourn that we lose that relationship here on earth. And we're going to mourn that they're not going to be with us every day now. But the hope is remains that for eternity we will spend with them in the presence of Jesus. So that brings a new hope. That means I, I wipe away my tears and I remember I do miss them right now, but I'm going to spend eternity with them. And I'm going to make sure I do everything to spend eternity with them and Jesus. It's the hope we have as believers. It's who God called us to be, what God's trying to do. God is doing something today. It's what we're talking about is now eternal judgment. What's that look like? When we have eternal judgment, that means this, that we will all have to stand before God someday. And give an account. Do you realize that there's actually two different judgment seats of Christ? It has two parts. And a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people think we're all kind of this group together. They've heard about the great white throne judgment. They've heard about the judgment seat of Christ. And sometimes you think they're the same thing. And they're not. They're actually two different events. And one is for the believer and one's for the non-believer. And they have two different parts. So let's talk about the one for the believer. It's the judgment seat of Christ what the Bible calls the judgment seat of Christ. He said, every one of us will stand before God and give an account of what we've done here on earth. So Romans 14, 10 through 12, look what it says. You then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. For we will, how many? All. We will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We all give an account for ourselves. We will all. The problem is we, we try to please people instead of pleasing God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, for we make it our goal to please him. That should be our goal here on earth is to please God. We make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home, in the body, or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Our aim should always be to please God. That means what? That means that when we feel pressure from society saying that we don't need to follow God's rules here or do this, the main thing is this. You gotta say, am I trying to please man? Am I trying to please God? And as for me and my house, we're going to please the Lord. We're gonna serve the Lord. I make it very clear. We have too many churches, too many Christians trying to please man. We're trying to make everybody happy, and therefore we've watered down the, gobble, the Bible and allow things to be taken out of context. And listen, uh, Jesus wants us to treat everyone with love. 
He wants us to forgive all. He wants us to love all. He wants us to show love all, but that doesn't mean we take away what the Word of God says is truth in our life. And so we hold true to that. Why? Because I'm not living my life. I'm not living my life to please the person next door to me. I'm living my life to please God because that's what remains. That's what I'll give an account for. When I stand before God, he's not going to say, hey, hey, did you please your brother? He's going to say, did you please me? Did you do the things I asked you to do? And so I have to give an account. The, the eternal judgment we see here is something that we see, the eternal judgment seat of God, is something that Christians stand in front of. We'll stand before God, and we'll have to give an account that after we accepted Jesus and we were forgiven of all of our sins, what was our response then? Did we become his hands and feet? Did I show his love to others? Did I take care of hungry children? Did I take care of the widow? Did I take care of those who were needing a friend? What was, was I Jesus' hands and feet? Did I show love to people? What did I do with the giftings he gave to me? Did, was it just about me, myself, and I? Or did I show his love? And the Bible says we're all going to have to give account for how we served God, how we represented God. This Christmas, many people will never know the story of Jesus. They'll never open up the Bible and read what Jesus did, but they'll read your life every day. And they see your testimony every day. For some of you, you'll be the only Jesus many people see. For so many of us, we'll be the only Jesus that people see. What are you doing with that? Are you showing people what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Are you loving those who are difficult to love? Are you giving forgiveness to those who didn't deserve it? No one will go to hell from this first judgment. It's an awesome thing. So it's not a fearful thing for the believer. I'm being judged on according to what I did. And the Bible says some of us are going to lay a strong foundation. And we're going to have that foundation. He says if you build all of your foundation on, on wealth, on possessions, on things, if you do all that and just worry about yourself, he goes at the, at the final judgment, those things are going to go. What's he saying? It means this. That means that you can leave your kids all the wealth possible, and they can, they can have an easy, easier than you had it, and you can leave them cars, possessions, houses, all those things. That's great. Nothing wrong with those things. But let's be honest. All those things will burn up. All those things will decay. All those things will have holes. All those things will be blown away at some point. They will not remain. What remains is, does your children know the, who Jesus is in their life? Did your children serve Jesus? Have you taught your children to build a strong foundation? Can I, can I be very clear? Now, this comes from a father of five. This comes from a father of five who had kids playing travel ball. Who had, I have one playing in Missouri State right now. They all played sports, different sports. So you know I am not against any of those things. But let me tell you, it's not important how fast a fastball my son throws. It's not important how good my daughter plays basketball. It's not important how many A's she made. It's not important how many degrees they made. The most important thing is this. What did she do for Jesus? Did she know who Jesus was? Your kid has a .0003% chance of playing college athletics and playing, making it to the pros. But they have a 100% chance of standing before God. And so I've got to make sure that I've got my children on a strong foundation. These are the things that remain. Nothing wrong with those other things, but they should never supersede God on importance in my family's life. My children said, no, the first and most important thing is we lay a strong foundation of serving Jesus in our life. This is what will remain. 
Everything covered by the blood is not going to be judged. Isn't it awesome? Everything covered by the blood is not going to be judged. So you can say, thank the Lord right now. Some of you have made some really dumb mistakes, and I'm right there with you. I've done some really dumb things in my life. I've made some really bad choices in my life, and so have you. But the great news is this. Because of the blood of Jesus, my sins are forgiven, and God's not going to judge me on those things. My past has been forgiven. Give God praise for that. That's a good thing. A past is forgiven, but I will have to give an account for what I did for God now. How did I serve him now? What did I do to further the kingdom of God now? Is your whole life about you or is it about furthering the gospel? Uh, let, me, let me make it clear. We're all going to receive our gifts. And you're not going to receive gifts of what your parents did. You're going to receive the gifts off what you did. Can, can I just take it a little bit further? Let me just explain it to you in the way we understand it. There is no socialism in heaven. Does God have favorites? I don't say God has favorites, but he's going to reward those who deserve it. And those who don't aren't going to get the reward. He's not going to be like, oh, here, I feel bad for you. Here's a couple of rewards for you. No, that's not going to happen. The Bible says we're all going to receive the reward we, we earn, rewards we earn from God. It's going to happen. Let me make it clear. There's people who are poor here on earth. They're going to be really rich in heaven. And there's nothing wrong with being rich on earth. There's nothing wrong with having those things. But do those things have you? That's the question you got to ask. Do my things have me? Do those things have my heart? Or does God have my heart? And these things belong to God. However he asked me to use it for his glory, that's how I want to use it. I don't let my things control me because they won't last. What lasts is my eternal relationship with God. That's what the most important thing is. Have I taught my children what's most important? The problem we have is that we don't want to face judgment, do we? And some people have a misunderstanding about judgment. Am I being judged? I thought I was forgiven. You are forgiven, but you will be judged on what you do after you are forgiven for God. And you'll be rewarded or not rewarded according. Some of you just going to barely get in. Woo, the smoke's going to be still smoking off your coattails. You just barely got in. But you're going to be empty-handed. There's going to be others that we didn't think were very, very rich, but they gave their life. There's going to be those who forsake their mom and dad and moved across the country, moved across the world, taking care of orphans and feeding the, the hungry and sharing the gospel, who took care of the ones that no one else were willing to go. And man, they're going to be rich in heaven. God's going to give them a big reward. There's those who are supporting them. They're going to be rich in heaven because they're, they're helping support them and feed those kids. I mean, God is going to judge us. And there's a second judgment, though. The second judgment is called the great white throne judgment, according to Scripture. It's called the great white throne judgment. Let's read about it here in Revelation 20. Let's start in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead great and small standing before the throne and the books were open. Another book was open, which was the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in those books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. There's nowhere to hide. I don't care where you, where you died. There's nowhere to hide from the presence of God. We're all going to be standing before God. If you have not accepted him, you'll stand before the great white throne. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it and the death 
in hell, gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then the death and hell, Hades, were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Some people today don't want to talk about hell because we don't want to make people uncomfortable. And we, we don't talk about it a lot here. It's not something you don't build big churches talking about hell every week. But let me be very clear. Just because we don't talk about it every week doesn't mean there's not a real hell. Church, wake up. There is a real hell. And I, I'm not trying to make you feel comfortable. I want you to get to heaven ready. And so I want you to say, you know what? As for me and my house, we're not going to be. Why would a loving God send people to hell? God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves. I mean, he's made it perfectly easy. All we have to do, there's nothing we can buy. There's nothing, there's no good we can do to earn it. All we have to do is say, I accept that Jesus paid the price of sin on the cross and I submit my life to him. I believe that he rose again on the third day and I get into all this. I get to spend eternity with Jesus, my sins forgiven, all that for me. But if I choose to say, I reject that, I neglect that, I mean, think about how, how awful would it be to walk out every day, look out on creation and say, all this happened by chance. All those trees and the sunshine, and if the earth was any closer to the sun, we'd burn up. Any further away, we'd freeze to death. The earth waters itself. We, we give birth to people, our, our DNA, our, the way we're made. It's individual. Oh, it's so complex. The complexity is beyond our comprehension. On you saying all this happens because a couple of molecules collided in outer space? No, all this order happened from a creator, and he created us a people of order, an earth of order, and you cannot reject that. You cannot close your eyes. Like, that was just by chance, and if you are that ignorant to say, but this has all happened by chance, there is not a God, then you're choosing to reject God in your life you got to say, no, I believe there was a creator. I believe he had a creation. I believe I am his creation. I believe he died because he loved me as his creation. And I believe he rose again, and I'm going to spend eternity with him. you got to know that. That's important. Because why? Because if I know that, then it changes how I build my foundation. Am I building my foundation? As musicians come, I want to ask you this question. Are you building your foundation for just this earth? Or are you building your foundation broad enough for eternity? That's the question only you can answer. And each one of us have to answer it for ourselves. Have I built my foundation for eternity? That means, first of all, it's a solid foundation. I believe, I believe, I believe that Jesus Christ is the solid foundation of my life. I'm surrendering my life to him, and I'm living my life now. How can I be his hands and feet? How can I obey him? I want to be a disciple, not a convert. I want to obey. A disciples obey the words of Jesus. Disciples want to learn about who Jesus was and spend their life learning to obey and act what Jesus wants us to do. Converts accept Jesus and then don't live out. Don't obey his, his words. Are you a convert or are you a disciple? I, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready to surrender your life.